Pacifica Radio Network and from the studios of KBOO in Portland, Oregon, this is Progressive Spirit, progressivespirit.net. I'm John Schatt. Today, we take on the inner critic, the judge, the tyrant, not outside of us, but within us. My guest is mindfulness teacher Mark Coleman. He's written a book called Make Peace With Your Mind, How Mindfulness and Compassion Can Free You from Your Inner Critic. From San Francisco via Skype, welcome, Mark, to Progressive Spirit. Good morning. Your book is called uh, Make Peace With Your Mind, uh, and about talking about the inner critic, and I'm thinking of of Mel Brooks. He was asked uh, one time, he says, what do you think about critics? And he says, critics, I love them, especially the sound they make when they rub their legs together. And then they they said, no, critics, I think you're thinking of crickets. And he goes, oh, critics, I hate them. (laughs) And that's that's true. That's what I get from reading your book. The critic, uh, the inner critic is not a good friend to have around in many ways. It certainly isn't. It's a cause of a lot of uh, mental anguish and low self-esteem and second-guessing and basically being down on yourself for who you are. My critic has been active this morning on things I was supposed to get done better. And uh, right. and we go on ourselves about that. You talk about that uh, the critic once served in our uh, development uh, a positive role, but then it just overstayed its welcome. Yeah. So like every part of our being, there's you know reasons for why we develop certain things. And the critic served a function when we were younger. You know, as a, as an infant, we we have a lot of wild impulses and emotions and feelings and basically the critic uh, was developed to help restrain some of those impulses so we could actually fit into the family system that didn't like us being rageful or angry or sad or whatever the problem is and, and so that that mechanism developed through learning how to shame us so we would actually stay you know conforming in line And the problem is that mechanism stayed put. And so whether we're 20, 50, 90, that same voice is saying, you know, be good, don't be bad, be nice, you did it wrong, you could be better. And so we end up living with this this rather tyrannical voice that really erodes our sense of worth and well-being. Can you give an example of um, what the inner critic does, uh, on, on perhaps on a daily basis, uh, perhaps even from your own life, if you don't mind? Yeah. Oh, I have plenty of examples from my own life. That's why I wrote a book about it. Uh-huh. So, for example, very simple example. Uh, I'm a meditation teacher. I teach mindfulness, and I go off to teach classes at night frequently. And um, a very simple example, I could forget where I put my keys Mm-hmm. And then I'm running late because I can't find my keys and then I hit traffic and then all of those things are perfect cues for my critics saying, why didn't you leave earlier? You're really stupid. You knew that you did this last week. Why didn't you find a regular place for your keys? Why didn't you look at the traffic? You know, you know from one perspective, you know, reasonable suggestions, but w- the difference between a suggestion and a an, judgment, which I call a negative self-judgment is the judgment makes us feel bad, basically. It makes us feel worse about ourselves. So, um, and I make the distinction in the book between discrimination and judgment. Judgment always has a negative impact and assertion about who we are as a person. Whereas, of course, someone reasons, a reasonable statement could be, well, I should have a 
key holder for my keys so I never lose my keys. That is a great idea. Haven't done it. So do you see the difference between mm -hmm. the practical suggestion versus the negative tone that makes us feel shame? Yeah, that one, that voice, that critic just keeps pounding at us and immobilizing us. Right, right. So it, it leads to inaction. It leads to feeling guilt or shame. And it actually makes us less likely to do the very things we need to do, in this case, be more organized or more efficient. Another way of, of talking about it, I've, I've often heard people say it's the tape that we have that runs in our mind, perhaps the scolding first grade teacher's voice or whatever it is. And we continue to run those tapes when we run into situations. Yes, it, they are all tape loops. I was once teaching and somebody said it's like having a bad college roommate living with you all the time that's <laughs> nagging and complaining and then later on the course someone said you know wait a minute it's not just one college roommate it's a whole college dorm in there you know the there's people who want us to you know be smarter or be more chill or be more efficient and then so we have actually a multitude sometimes i call it the inner boardroom of people barking their orders and demands and critiques and ultimately leaving us feeling very um, debilitated. If you're just joining us on Progressive Spirit, I'm speaking with Mark Coleman. He's the author of Make Peace With Your Mind, How Mindfulness and Compassion Can Free You From Your Inner Critic. And the inner critic gets triggered, I suppose, when we do receive a criticism from another person. And maybe a criticism like, like you said before that we could, you know, discern and use discernment, but the inner critic just picks up on that and makes it worse. Of course. Yes. Yeah. So, so whenever we, if, if we have a strong inner critic, then any external criticism is just going to land on that already well, you know, irrigated soil of self judgment. So it, uh, both is harder to hear. And then of course it triggers the critic to add to that. And so it's almost like a double whammy. Um, and often we project our inner critic outwards. So we may not even be in a critical uh, audience, say we're giving a lecture or something, but because we're so used to hearing our own critic, we think everybody else is judging us too. So it goes both ways. We can, it's what I call the swing door, where we're judging ourselves, we're judging others, we're fearing judge, people are judging us, and it uh, becomes quite difficult to manage. Talk about that a little bit more. That inner critic that we have for ourselves also um, makes us more judgmental toward others. Right. Well, but, you know, the brain, as, as neuroscience is discovering, the brain is, is, um, is a creature of habit. And what we frequently do, we, the brain allocates more real estate to. And so if we practice being judgmental all the time, critical of ourselves, of our dress, of our behavior, of our intelligence, of our looks then um, that just becomes a well-worn groove in the mind. And of course, when we're around other people, our brain is going to keep operating in the same way. We're going to apply the same standards of judgment, of harshness. may not be quite as harsh to others, but that habit will continue. In the same way, if we uh, enjoy judging other people, the danger is when we're home alone, guess who's going to be at the end of that attack? It's going to be ourselves. So I make the case for really being mindful of wherever the, the negative judgment is happening and asking yourself, is this really something I want to be developing? Is this the kind of person that I want to uh, be now or in the future? And we have a choice about that. I had a friend of mine say, yeah. uh, 
uh, he was in the career in the ministry, and his father was a minister, and, and he asked him, what was the one advice that you'd give to someone just starting? And he said, if I look back at myself uh, early on, the thing that I'd want to do most is give myself a hug. And I was thinking that that must be, uh, and I didn't think of that before reading your book. That's the inner critic at work that was so strong, and and the and the answer to that uh, is uh, compassion. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's why I framed the, the the book in that way. That we need two things. We need many things, really. But the two core things are one is awareness, mm-hmm. so we can be mindful and cognizant of when the critic is happening and the negative impact it's having, and the second is is kindness. We need to be as your friend was saying, um, you know, give ourselves a hug. We're so used to comparing ourselves, applying impossibly high standards to ourselves, fault finding with ourselves. And what we most need is actually support. We need care. We need encouragement. We need um, positive validation. And so um, we can use, we, we can see how, how negative and, you know, depleting all that that negativity can be and um what we need to find ways to be more forgiving you know the critic has 2020 hindsight so it's always judging us for things we could have done better or could have you know made better decisions etc um and we need to just be a little more kind for our humanness we need to accept our foibles you know it's just human beings we're we're all a little wacky and eccentric and quirky and the critic applies this ideal of, you know, you should be perfect. You should be like this and should be done like that. And life's not like that. Life is messy. Life is complicated. We all make mistakes. And, um, the last thing we need is giving ourselves an additional hard time because life is hard enough. So how about we practice being a little more forgiving, kind and accepting of our humanness, which the critic does not want us to do. And the critic just isn't reality. I mean, the critic is, uh, is, is, in, is in really in the fantasy world, and that's kind of the delusion about the critic, is that we think the critic is telling us the truth. But the critic really isn't, uh, because the reality is is that we, uh, as you mentioned, it was really pointed out in your book, that uh, we are not our own fault uh, that um, there is a whole life series and a whole genetics before that and our own environmental position that's, that makes us the complex people we are, that we are not responsible in a sense for um, uh, being who we are. But, of course, then, then there is a responsibility of, of, of what choices we make now. Right. Yeah, we're all subject to our own conditioning from our families, from mm-hmm. our culture, from economics from education and um and then you know we become an adult adult at some point and we in the critic will often give ourselves a hard time for who we are and who we turn out to be and so much of who we are is our biology is our conditioning um is our genetics is our hormones and um you know it, it's as you say the, the 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 critic likes to think it's the voice of objective truth but actually, it's just a very subjective, biased point of view. And I tell people when they're thinking about their critic to understand it's a point of view and it's, uh, it's subjective and it's biased and it's biased towards the negative. And the more we listen to it, the more we give it authority, then the more we'll suffer because it's not actually reality. Like if we, I, I have people on my workshops write out a list of their judgments and then I actually have them share them with others 
and I ab- asked them, you know, would, would anybody agree with this assessment of who you are? And for the most part, our friends and families wouldn't agree at all with how our critic portrays us. And there might be some shades of things that we might do, but they wouldn't characterize us in that same way. And so it's really important to see how distorted the critic's perception is and how important it is not to align with the truth of it. Make peace with your mind, how mindfulness and compassion can free you from your inner critic. My guest is Mark Coleman on Progressive Spirit. Oh, well, let's talk a little bit more about how we how we might embrace or engage our critic. So the critic is coming in. Uh, how, do we shut this critic off? Do we uh, debate? How, how does it work? Yeah, so the first step is simply to know it's happening, which is which is you know, bringing awareness to our thoughts, noticing the difference between uh, a simple discrimination or evaluation versus a judgment which is negatively laden and makes us feel bad about ourselves. So we first notice it with mindfulness. We can name it. Oh, judging. Oh, there I am judging myself again. We might notice ourselves judging ourselves for judging or judging that we're judging, judging. <laughs> so we notice that, you know, it's a kind of a never-ending uh-huh. cycle. Um, and then, you know, many different strategies, which I describe in the book in in a chapter called the critic toolkit, which is, you know, for myself, one of the most effective strategies I use is humor. And because humor, um, in the same way that when we become aware of something, it's slightly, we become slightly bigger than it or slightly separate from it. So, you know, like if I'm losing my keys and I'm driving to teach a mindfulness class and, and, and the thought that come up will come up in my head will be, oh, Mr. Mindfulness wins the day again. As in, you know, here I am a mindfulness teacher going to teach a class on being aware and I forget my keys. So I'll use whom I'll sometimes imagine my judge wearing this big gray wig. I'm English, so and then I grew up in the, you know, the English judges with uh-huh. those wigs saying bad, bad. I'll exaggerate the judgment. Oh, yes, I'm the worst, most disorganized person in the world. I'm the least kind person in the world. Um, or I'll just, um, you know, I'll sort of roll my eyes. When, you know, when I say I get lost, you know, are there certain things that are, that are very predictable when our critic will jump at us? Like if we maybe trip over in the street or um, we forget someone's birthday that's important to us or some, some you know, some social thing like that. And, I can I can just guarantee that the critic will will start doing its thing. Oh, you've 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 left too late again, and you've taken the wrong turn. And and I just say, oh please, like who cares? Like or thank you for your opinion. That's very interesting or not. And have a nice day. So there's a way of um, noticing it. You can be playful with it. You can sidestep it. Sometimes more fierce response is necessary. We just say stop. Like enough. Just as if, if you imagine your best friend walking around with you recounting all your judgments and all the things you've done wrong and forgotten and messed up, right? We wouldn't put up with that for a second. So, you know, with our, with our inner voice of the critic, it's, it's at times helpful just to say enough, not useful. This is not true. Um, go away. And so we can bring a more firmer uh, response. Sometimes we can feel into the, the pain from where the critic's coming from. Often the, the critic comes because we're feeling vulnerable, because we're feeling scared, we're feeling fear. And if we can drop beneath the, the judgment to actually feeling, then we have a much better chance of uprooting that. Often we don't want to feel the feelings and therefore we, we, 
you're more familiar with just staying with the critical voice. Everyone have uh, an inner critic? I mean, it's, it certainly resonated with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I occasionally come across people. I've been teaching for about 20 years and coaching and therapy and whatnot. And um, I occasionally come across, uh, I would say, I could probably put them less than one handful of people who, for some reason, have got through life relatively unscathed from the critic. And then there's definitely people who have quieter ones or people who've done this work with mindfulness and compassion and found a lot of space from the critic. I'd say they're few and far between. I'd say even the majority population, especially in the West, have a very strongly developed critic. And, um, you know, growing up in England, for example, to talk about oneself negatively in public was part of social discourse. Oh, I'm useless at this. I'm not very good at that. And um, you should have seen the mess I did last week at work, you know. And so there's a certain kind of acceptable norm of being critical of ourselves, which actually belies how potent and and problematic it is. You mentioned especially in the West, and I'm wondering now if there's a connection uh, with uh, religious heritage and this idea of sinfulness and original sin, and and we're bad, and we and and you go to church and you confess how much you know uh, bad you are and how much God doesn't like you, and you know, or, well, maybe God loves you, but you're you know you got to get better. Is there a, is there a sense in which religion uh, has played into um, emphasizing, uh, amplifying the inner critic? I, I think so. And I was raised Catholic, and, but mm-hmm. I think in general in the Judeo-Christian culture, there is a sense of, well, certainly Catholicism, original sin or unworthy for God in certain ways. And, um, and so there has been that orienting to the, the negative parts of our nature, whether it's lust or our sins or other things. I mean, and there are cultures like Tibetan culture, t- Tibetan Buddhist culture, for instance, that doesn't have this notion of original sin, but actually has this notion of Buddha nature, which is you're inherently pure in your core. And I see people from that culture, despite the many years of oppression that they've experienced um, through the Chinese invasion, um, incredibly robust, happy, buoyant, uh, well sense of well-being. And so I do think there's a component. I don't think it's the only component, but I do think it's made it worse for the most part. Well, certainly the idea of mindfulness and meditation has helped us, uh, has helped people who practice that uh, be able to manage the critic. You may not be able to get rid of the critic, but you can manage it. Is that, that's kind of what I'm hearing. Yeah. I, I, you know, just like with thoughts, you can't stop thoughts in meditation, but you can Mm -hmm. learn how to have a wise relationship. And the same with the critic. We can't necessarily eradicate the critic, but we can learn to find spaciousness and ease and disinterest in relationship to it so it's no longer negatively impacting. Talk about mindfulness for a second. Uh, what do you mean by mindfulness and, and what might be a way to begin the practice of it for those who are listening perhaps for the first time to uh, uh, an idea like this? Yeah, great question. So mindfulness is simply, uh, I define it as clear awareness, the ability to know what's happening in your experience, the ability to be aware of your mind, body, heart, emotion, environment as it's happening without interfering or judging. So it's a very simple, clear awareness of moment-to-moment experience. And you can cultivate it in many different ways. You can cultivate it through meditation. The simplest way is to just practice attending to the breath, noticing each time you get distracted and wandering, and you come back. 
Um, but you can also cultivate it in nature. You can cultivate it through um, art, through uh, creative uh, pursuits, uh, through you know, practices like yoga and tai chi. Um, but the mindfulness meditation is the most direct way of cultivating this really is a muscle of awareness to be present to what's happening in your experience. And one of the co- most common ways uh, you mentioned in your book and I've heard it elsewhere too, is really just focusing on the breath. That's one of the most ancient aspects, isn't it, of meditation? Yes. And certainly the easiest to cultivate. We're always breathing. It's available. And you just simply sit for however many minutes a day attending to the breath, noticing when your attention wanders, you come back. So you just start to develop a simple uh, continuity of attention, which then expands into being aware in whatever you're doing, whether you're working, sitting, playing, hiking, etc. Mindfulness is the idea of being present here, here and now, we might say, uh, because our mind always wants to put us either in the past of all the things we've done wrong, usually, or the future and all the things we should be worried about. And the inner critic just thrives in those two places. It does. I mean, particularly in the past, the critic, as I said, has 20-20 hindsight. So it's Mm -hmm. often berating us for things we've said and done or things we didn't do or didn't say or the wrong choices with investments or with partners or with where we decided to live or with careers. Um, and so it's really important to see that we know we all do the best we can. We make the best choices we can given the information we have. And it doesn't help to look one, five, ten years after the fact and go, oh, I should have done it differently. Well, we didn't have that information. Um, and the same for the future. Um, uh, you know, we, the critic has, as I've said, an impossibly high standards for ourselves and our lives. And if we listen to it, we'll be driven. You know, I often think of the critic as a taskmaster, just, you know, like no rest, no play, work, 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 because you're not good enough and you have to achieve more and be better and get on. And, and it becomes even it translates into the meditation and spiritual world. The critic takes on whatever flavor uh, you're in. So if you're a meditator, you're, then you suddenly become a not good enough meditator. Or if you're, mm. You know, in public service, you're not kind and generous enough. Or, so it'd be really useful to watch where the critic creeps into whatever new pursuit you're doing. And I wonder if there's a sense in which we need to uh, have this sense of humor about what we see in the culture for these past, I don't know, way too long, 24 months too long of this election business. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. I'm not even going to talk about the, the end of it, but just, just, I felt that we all needed to just to take a, a hot shower, you know, of this constant criticism of one another, uh, that, that, that's the inner critic just going crazy and, uh, ex- internalizing and externalizing it, isn't it? Yes. No, I definitely see the relationship for sure. We, we are in this post crazy election cycle mm-hmm. and there's been such a lot of negative judgment, criticism, and out of that comes, you know, hatred and racism and rejection and otherness and, you know, a whole plague of social problems and pain. And um, it really starts with our own mind. You know, you know, I think every spiritual tradition will say, you know, the root of, you know, greed and hatred and and the fear and and the suffering in the world, if we look at our own mind, we'll see that it's happening there. And so, if we're not addressing the judgmental, critical nature of our own mind, then of course we're going to be uh, uh, contributing to that in the world. And the election, sadly, was a very 
large, uh, you know, sad indictment of that habit and the pain that comes from that, and the divisiveness that comes from that, which we all need to heal from. Yeah, and that pain and and divisiveness and and the inner critic really leads to serious problems. I mean, this isn't something light. Uh, we're talking about mental illness, uh, uh, even suicide. Exactly. I I do think that the the many many people I've worked with depression over the years and anxiety, um, so much I think comes from these voices. From these voices of you're not good enough, you're worthless. You're never going to get your life together. What you've done is pathetic. And when we, when we, if that's the main radio station that we're listening to, then of course we feel beaten down. We feel a little oppressed. We feel depressed. And I would say for many uh, people who've sadly um, uh, been so terribly oppressed by those voices, it can lead to suicidality and, and worse. And, um, uh, and again, it's why it's so important to look at these voices and really see they are not truth, they are not helpful, and there are other more kind ways to be, like the practice of loving kindness I suggest in the book, which is ways of you know, orienting towards what's good in ourselves and appreciating and wishing ourselves well and happiness. Let's do that. It. Yeah, let's talk about that. What is, uh, give us a practice, uh, we're, we're just about, about a minute left, uh, of, of the practice of loving kindness. How might uh, we go about doing that? Yeah, well, loving kindness is a beautiful practice. It's an ancient practice from the Buddhist tradition, and it's simply using phrases that express our kindness and friendliness and goodwill to ourselves. So you basically sit down quietly, and you say a few phrases that express your deepest wish and aspiration for yourself. And the, the sort of more standard phrases that are often used are, may you, be, may you or may I be safe and help, may I be healthy and strong, may I be happy and peaceful, may I live with ease, may I love and accept myself as I am. And you just simply repeat those phrases uh, over and over in a meditative way, and then you extend it to friends and family and strangers and the whole world. And but for this in this context, it's mostly uh, directed towards oneself. And because you're using the same thought structures as the critic, it's actually a very powerful way of uh, almost like creating new new neural pathways, developing pathways of kindness and care rather than meanness and judgment. Mark Coleman, my guest on Progressive Spirit, author of Make Peace with Your Mind, How Mindfulness and Compassion Can Free You from Your Inner Critic. I highly recommend this book. This was good. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate uh, the book and uh, spending time with me today. Thank you so much. A pleasure to be on your show. You've been listening to Progressive Spirit. The website for podcasts and for more information is progressivespirit.net. I'm John Schock. Be well. Be well.